This episode is brought to you by the Arvada Center because they're kicking off their summer concert series in June. Relax under the stars at the Arvada Center's outdoor amphitheater and take in acts like Melissa Etheridge, Big Richard, Tower of Power, Preservation Hall Jazz Band, The Spin Doctors, and so much more. Concerts are scheduled for June through September. You can find a whole schedule of events and get your tickets today at arvadacenter.org. That's arvadacenter.org. Today on CityCast Denver. Once again, Denver voters are being asked to determine the future of the Park Hill Golf Course. And once again, this fight is messy. My producer, Paul Caroli, has been digging into the rumors and speculation. So today we're sorting it all out and talking through more local stories that matter. Today is Tuesday, March 21st. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Hi, Paul. Good morning, Bree. It's Tuesday. We love to talk about the news. Here we are. What's going on? Our favorite stories. Love it. There was a lot of news over the weekend, but we are going to focus on something that we've been talking about for years. I can say safely say, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it is relevant now more than ever. Yes. The Park Hill Golf Course Saga continues. It's heating up. It's heating up like crazy. We're like, what, three weeks away from election day, maybe a little bit less. And people are losing their minds over this golf course. I mean, it happened, what, two years ago when we voted on it the last time. But I feel like the temperature is hotter this time. Yes. And um, but I, I thought if there's anyone in the world who has been lucky enough to not have this take up room in their psyche for the last two years, mm-hmm. I'd love for you to explain. Uh, give us a quick Mm-hmm. The quick and dirty version of the Park Hill Golf Course Saga, Paul. Can you do that? My pleasure. Please, because I can't. Okay. <laughs> um, I, well, I think the basics are it's a 155-acre golf course that's been defunct for many years now. Um, and then a development company called Westside bought it for $24 million in 2019. Their hope was to lift the conservation easement which is this arcane zoning tool that keeps it a golf course. Um, So they bought it for lower than what that land would have otherwise been worth in the hopes that they might be able to lift the easement and make a lot of money developing it. Um, We're talking about it now because it's on our ballots that are on our kitchen tables gathering dust. Uh, At least that's where mine is. And so now what we're voting on is the plan that Westside has put together, which includes a mix of housing, commercial development, and uh, park. It would be a big park. <sighs> so that's that's where we are. Mm-hmm. But why are we talking about it today? What, is, what has happened in the last week or so? Oh, there's tons of things happening. The race is getting nasty in a lot of different ways. We talked about it most recently a couple weeks ago. There was a drag show that Westside was organizing to promote the yes on 2-0 campaign that they're running. 2-0 is the, the question that's the actual like where, where it's listed on your ballot. After we talked about it, I think we were, you know, making light of the fact that they would host an event like that. And uh, the PR guy from Westside got in touch with me to let me know that nearly 500 people attended. He says it was a big success. Uh, so just hmm. in case anyone was curious how that went. <laughs> he was dying to know the ticket sales on a 
on an event for a initiative but yes hey, there you go i don't know um also lots of endorsements have been coming in mm. um and some interesting bedfellows on the endorsements uh groups that have said yes we we want to see this plan go forward who want to see you vote yes include denver metro chamber of commerce the denver streets partnership which was the group behind denver deserves sidewalks um, Denver Classroom Teachers Association, the Teachers Union, Habitat for Humanity of Metro Denver, the Urban Land Conservancy. Um, but then on the no side, maybe even more interesting, uh, the Denver Post editorial board came out for no. Uh, but then the two that caught at least Denverites' attention, they had an article pointing out how weird this was. Uh, the Democratic Socialists of America, the Denver chapter, they say vote no. And at the same time, the Denver Republican Party also says you should vote no on this. Um, a spokesperson for that party said 2-0 is another attempt to end run the preservation of open space to the benefit of a speculative development under the guise of affordable housing, which was very similar to what the DSA spokesperson said about the about this vote. Two different perspectives on the no, but they are but aligning. firmly no in both, both, yeah. I can see how this just continues to further confuse voters. <laughs> Absolutely. I would just say. W one thing I do believe in is every voter having as much information as possible. And that has been at issue in this one last conversation around the Park Hill golf course, around this lawsuit. Have you heard anything about this lawsuit, Bree? That's what I wanted to ask you about, because I remember it, it came to light a couple months ago. But it is back in the news again, and it's a lawsuit over mm -hmm. um, the clubhouse that sits on this golf course and sort of an agreement that was maybe made with a group. But Paul, can you can you parse this out a little bit? Well, What's going on? You're exactly right. It's it's a legal dispute between Westside and their main partners, the Holleran Group. So that's one side of the dispute. And then on the other side is this nonprofit, community nonprofit, Sisters of Color, which has been a tenant paying for the space in the clubhouse and for some renovation work that has been done. Um, and this is, this is really important because this is a vote for a lot of people about whether or not to trust if the developers are going to follow through on their promises. And the Sisters of Color uh, executive director, Adriana Corrales Lujan, says that's exactly why she's speaking out about this now is because she feels like the developers made her promises and then let her down. So specifically, the dispute is uh, they signed this three-year lease after Westside bought the course. Uh, Sisters of Color signed up to be to be a tenant in the clubhouse. They were going to set up a cultural arts center. They were going to have a wellness programming. I'm not exactly sure. I don't even think it ever came to fruition um, because the space needed renovation work and cleaning and fixing up. They said they spent nearly $200,000 for repairs and remodeling work. And that's the core of the dispute. Um, and the lawsuit's actually not over yet. So I, I'm just curious what... Again, what has been brought to light with this recent lawsuit or what, what have we recently learned that maybe we weren't supposed to know? Right. Well, it seems like Sisters of Color has been wanting to get the word out about their experience with the Holleran Group okay. and with Westside. Um, a key document from the litigation was leaked to the press. And that key document is a deposition from a former Holleran Group co-founder, Ty Hubbard. Um, so it's an interview he did, I think, with a lawyer back in January. I spent the morning reading it. A couple of takeaways. These are things that Westside probably wouldn't want you to know. Um, but in that document, Ty Hubbard says, at one point, uh, Norman, who was his co-founder, Norman Harris, came to me and said, 
uh, Kenneth Ho had come to him with an opportunity. Kenneth Ho is a principal at Westside and Ho came to Norman with an opportunity. Westside was looking for a real estate or development company that was of color that could partner with them in some capacity on Park Hill Golf Course. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So Westside was looking for, for a very specific type of partner to help make this make this project happen. I, I just want to, I, I want to, can I just share my, like, um, hearing that, I think about this world of DEI that we're all of a sudden yes. in where we're talking about equity and how that actually is implemented and, and if it's actually making structural changes in organizations and things. But this just, I, I would, this feels a little hinky to me that they were looking specifically for a development company of color to partner with. I mean, I don't know. I would be questioning motives. Mm-hmm. That's all I'd say. Apparently, according to Hubbard, the deal was Holleran would get $3,000 a month plus a percentage of the final profits um, in exchange for managing, quote, community engagement. Mm. So Holleran was going to be the face of this project for the community. A couple other interesting details. This one was first reported by Westward, but Robert Smith, the richest black man in America, a Denverite, uh, he's the founder and chairman and CEO of the private equity firm Vista Equity Partners. He invested $8 million in the project, um, and he has some family connections to people in the Holleran group. So that was something I don't think we knew about the Park Hill Golf Course project, but Robert Smith is invested in it. Interesting. Yeah. Um, he doesn't like talking to the press, so I, I'm not even going to bother sending him an interview request about this, but... Um, Interesting guy. The last detail I think we're talking about is this story about the House Worship Center, some kind of religious organization. So again, this is Ty Hubbard talking, but he was describing how this religious group wanted to share space at the Park Hill Golf Course Clubhouse, but they didn't want to share the same physical room as Sisters of Color because they, quote, provide services to a diverse group, including members of the LGBTQ community. So the solution they came up with... <laughs> they, they didn't... Go on. Sorry, they didn't want to share space because queer folks might have been in that same room yes. at some point. Yes. Okay. okay. So the, the, just, the solution that was brokered um, was that they would build a wall through a room. And this was another part of the dispute was who pays for the kind of renovations like a wall to divide these two groups that have ideological differences. My gosh, this is bananas. Yeah, yeah. This is just bananas. Okay, um, I'm curious what the what Westside and the Holleran Group, these two development companies that have come together for this Park Hill project, um, have they said anything publicly about this lawsuit and these this these issues stemming from the lawsuit? They have. They have. They have been trying to stop this information from getting out. Um, although, like I said, Sisters of Color leaked this deposition. Um, but in terms of the actual trial, they have won the right to review this document and and verify certain facts in it. Um, I reached out to the PR person for Westside who's kind of running this campaign, and he said, quote, the Holleran Group and Westside Investment Partners sought the court's intervention to ensure that neither confidential nor demonstrably untrue accusations contained within the depositions could be leaked to the media and presented as factual without first being reviewed. So that that's what they won the right to do, was make any redactions. Um, but that I assume that's going to take longer than this election will take. 
And now the information is public. The other thing that the PR rep for Westside said was um, just like a broader response. I think he understands that they're not actually like fighting the lawsuit anymore. They're now fighting in this war of public opinion. So to counter some of the things that came out in that deposition, he highlighted the community benefits agreement that Westside reached with 10 uh, community organizations. This was like an agreement where they said that they're going to like do certain things with the land to make it good for the community and not just only focus on money. So he encouraged us to uh, include the perspective of those organizations. And I would like to, I would like to hear from them about their experience working with Westside. Um, the PR rep also sent me a screenshot of a tweet from Councilman Kevin Flynn saying that uh, Westside not only made good on their promises to the community with the Loretto Heights development, which they're also behind, um, but they built more affordable units than were required. So if, if we're looking at track record and if we're looking at like whether or not Westside follows through, their PR rep said, take a look at the Loretto Heights project. Again, I, I will just push back and say affordability is a relative and flexible term. So we don't know what that means. We don't know if that uh, is what the, the neighborhood was asking for. We just know that it was affordable by somebody's standard. So that would be my, my only pushback is we just never know. Um, I, and the community benefits agreement is interesting because it is a legally binding contract between a community and a developer where they outline what the community would like and how the developer will meet those requests Mm -hmm. or come to the table with. So I'd be so curious if any listeners have had a direct experience with community benefits agreements related to development in your neighborhood or community. I'd just love to know how it pans out. It's a thing we always hear about when it happens, but then we don't know 10 years down the road if it's still contractual. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm just curious. Just just asking questions uh, yeah i would i have the <laughs> same questions i would love to know i'm sure there are people listening right now that have experience working with west side if this is the question like is west side trustworthy if that's what people are going to be voting on i want more information i would love if people called in and told yeah. us about their experiences working with west side i just really feel for you all as well as myself and paul who have our ballots again sitting on our counters going I don't know what the right thing to do is. We will link in our show notes several episodes where we have talked to folks on both sides of this issue because I really want folks listening, especially if you're just getting tuned into this issue, to feel empowered to vote how how you would if you understood the picture as best you can. So when you're voting on 2-0, I want you to feel like you're doing the thing that you believe in. This episode is brought to you by Pine Melon, the farmer's market delivered. Pine Melon is a next generation grocery delivery app that partners with over 200 farmers, ranchers, and producers in Colorado to help make fresh, locally sourced foods available to the Denver community at fair prices. Get high quality meats, eggs, and dairy from small local farms, fresh baked breads from local bakeries, and more, as well as all of your favorite pantry staples. Best part is Pine Melon offers same day delivery to Denver and soon Boulder within a two hour window, no subscription necessary. Save time in your busy schedule and get fresh and healthy groceries delivered right to your door. Join the movement and support local today. Use promo code CityCastDenver for $75 off your first delivery at PineMelon.com. That's PineMelon.com. Okay, Blake Street Tavern. 
downtown in Lodo has announced its last day of business will be April 9th, which again will be after opening day, which is always a huge day for them because it's right down in the heart of downtown. What did, is there any information on why Blake Street Tavern is closing? Not really. Uh, but yeah, this is such a mainstay of Lodo. It's such a, I mean, it's 20 years they've been running. It's been a go-to for Rockies games. All we know is uh, what the general manager uh, told KDVR. Um, she said, we are saddened by this turn of events and gladdened by the support for our many regulars and friends. Uh, truly the end of an era for those of us who formed lifelong friendships here. Um, but then it turns out, I mean, it, it sounds like it's not about like crime in the area at all, which I think is what a lot of people would have assumed hearing about a business closing downtown. Uh, but, uh, she said instead that our boss isn't doing very well. He needs to take priority over himself and we're all okay, though sad with that decision. And I have to say that was a surprising part to me in, in the minimal coverage we've got of this closure is I was looking for a comment um, from from Blake Street Tavern owner uh, Chris Fusilier because he has been very vocal over the last couple of years through the pandemic. Um, he was really that restaurant owner and that bar owner that was talking to the press about his experience trying to hire folks, uh, trying to navigate these rules around social distancing through the the really the height of quarantine. Um, I mean, he was interviewed by national outlets about what was going on, and he was really active. Also, I just saw him as an active voice on Twitter as a business owner saying, this is what we're going through. This is what the restaurant industry is going through. So to hear that, I'm really bummed. I hope he's okay. I just was so surprised. I was like, oh, this is a person I feel like I know a little bit just from coverage. And I really just, I hope everything's okay. I also just cannot imagine running a restaurant at this Same. time in the world. Same, completely. So, um, I, our our hearts go out to to him and his staff. I hope everybody is okay. It's just what a rough time. Um, I also just want to say anecdotally, I was out this weekend and I was talking to a woman at the fitting rooms at Nordstrom Rack and she said to me, thank you so much for bringing your clothes out of the fitting room. And I was like, yeah, of course. And she goes, most people won't. And I'm just tired of people yelling at me. Huh. And this was like... <laughs> A woman my mother's age, people are yelling. And I'm just thinking about customer service at this time and what folks are probably going through who work in restaurants. And, I, you know, we've talked to the we've talked to the, you know, the experienced servers and bartenders at the Three Stars podcast. They've talked so much about that stress. And so I imagine if you're a business owner who's also trying to support your staff through this, man, it's rough. Be nice, be kind, and uh, we just send our we just send well wishes to Blake Street Tavern. Absolutely, and also congratulations on twenty years. That's that's an accomplishment. Yeah, that's uh, huge. What I'm, I'm interested in here is Lodo. What's going to happen in Lodo this summer without Blake Street Tavern? There have yeah. been a couple of other interesting changes happening. I think that's another conversation I want to I want to have with somebody. Yeah, I'd be curious what goes in there if something else goes in there too, because Blake Street's a huge restaurant and bar, and it's a great location. I, I really hope something awesome goes in there. Um, okay, so we're going to jump back to the ballots because, as we all know, we are in the midst of mayoral madness. Uh, we, have, we, as a show, have been working to interview every candidate. We've still got a few that have not responded to us. We're working on it. But someone we talked to and had talked to previously walked away from the race kind of out of nowhere last week. Paul. Who? What? Yep, it's true. We had 17 candidates for mayor. Now we're down to 16. We had our first dropout. Tattered Covers CEO, 
and co-owner Kwame Spearman is out. And he also endorsed Kelly Bruff, former competitor. Uh, so he says, uh, if you like me, go ahead and vote for her. Uh, but this got really interesting on Thursday when he was dropping out. It was kind of messy um, because his treasurer, Jamie Gillis, who I'm sure, Bree, you remember from when she ran. Do you she, want to say who she is? Uh, she's a former head of the Rhino Art District. She comes from the urban planning world of Denver. We worked at the same firm at one point, not at the same time. Uh, but she was in the last mayoral election when it was the incumbent Michael Hancock up against a handful of interesting folks. Uh, Penfield Tate, who's currently running for at large. Uh, Jamie Gillis was one of those folks running against him. So she was Kwame's treasurer. Mm-hmm. And I, I got to say that the hot goss on this news drop was interesting because um, so Jamie posted on Facebook Today, mayoral candidate Kwame Spearman made the following announcement. This was a decision made by Kwame alone, not the campaign for which I served as treasurer. I was not aware until the last moment it was happening, and I do not support how he handled this or who he endorsed. To say I'm disappointed is an understatement. For that to come from inside your campaign, ooh, mm-hmm. revealing of some larger issues there for sure. I don't know what's going on, but um, what I would say for voters is if you haven't voted yet, great (laughs) because it sucks when you voted already and maybe you voted for that person and it feels like you threw your vote away you didn't thank you for voting but i i'll be honest paul this is partially why i'm waiting a little bit longer because we still have absolutely we've got a couple weeks here and we don't know what could happen 17 candidates are now down to 16 we could see some more drop off Mm -hmm. uh also a little campaign hot goss what is going on with mike johnston's coffers (laughs) Yes. What's going on with his money? Well, he's been one of the biggest fundraisers so far. Um, and last week we learned a little bit about where that money's coming from. Um, Denverite reported that LinkedIn founder and uh, major Democratic donor Reed Hoffman has donated uh, $779,000 to an independent expenditure committee uh, that supports Mike Johnston's campaign. So mm. Reed Hoffman, if you don't know him, he's a big deal in the technology world. He was one of the members of the PayPal mafia, which was like a late nineties, early two thousands group of like super rich, ambitious dudes. Elon Musk, Elon Musk PayPal was mafia. on there. Peter Thiel, PayPal mafia. Um, Reed Hoffman doesn't share their politics. Um, he's like I said, he's a big democratic donor. Um, but explaining his support for Mike Johnston, apparently they've been buddies for a long time. Um, they work together on education reform, like 10, 15 years ago. But Reed posted to LinkedIn. He says, quote, my friend Mike Johnston, who's running for mayor of Denver, is one of the most creative and courageous political entrepreneurs I've ever worked with. He has piloted and tested major innovations on homelessness, affordable housing, and closing racial wealth gaps. He has a real chance to scale these solutions to Denver and build a model for cities across the country to consider and try. Hmm. And he says, Hmm. please, please vote for Mike if you live in Denver. So my two cents, uh, three quarters of a million dollars going to a Denver mayor's race from outside the state always feels weird to me. Um, Any interest in our local politics that is this is hyper local. This is mayor. Um, I don't know. It makes me a little skeptical. And I wonder what Reed's interest is in a bigger picture for supporting Mike. So I also I think Mike has a great platform. So I don't know. It's a it was a conflicting message to me as somebody who cares very much about the hyper local here in Denver. Mm. But you know, uh, campaign finance reports 
one of my favorite things to read on the weekends. It will tell you so much about your candidate if you see where the money is coming from. Um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes if you're curious to look at anybody else's campaign uh, fundraising and seeing where that money's coming from, because it just might tell you something different about a candidate that you were looking at. I don't know. Interesting. Definitely not just about Mike. This is about everybody in the race, but where your money comes from matters. Okay, so before we go, Paul, we got a call in to our Teenage Angst Hotline. Just to remind listeners, we have this awesome event coming up April 13th. We are co-hosting a show with Mortified. They invite folks to come on stage and read from your uh, middle and high school journals and diaries. I'm going to be reading from mine. I think our friend of the show, State Politics and Green Chili correspondent Justine Sandoval is going to be joining me to read some. Hell yes. But one of you sent in a great voicemail sharing a little bit of your teenage angst. Again, we are still soliciting these. You can call the uh, Teenage Angst hotline at 720-500-5418. Leave us a message with a funny story from high school or middle school. Maybe read a diary entry, especially if it relates to Denver. We'll love it. But we want to share this one that we got from listener Amanda and her teenage angst story. Hi, I'm Amanda, and I'm calling from Cap Hill for the Teenage Angst Hotline, and I'd like to share a journal entry that I wrote, uh, I think, when I was 10. So here it goes. Dear Diary, I have noticed that everyone treats me like dirt, except for Bree, Katie, Paige, Marcella, Kayla, Julia, Juliet, Kelly, Erin, Emily, Skylar, Kara, <laughs> Gianna, Wilbur, Peewee, those are my cats. All five of my fish, Daddy, Mommy, Nacho, my au pair, stuffed animals, and sea monkeys, and Heidi. I know it is a long list, but the majority of people who treat me like crap is so much higher than not. And Stephanie doesn't treat me like dirt either. Neither does Caitlin. But what should I do? Nor does Carrie. She doesn't treat me like dirt either. Or Ryan's sister. Um, Ryan doesn't treat me like dirt either. Nor Katie. And most of the time when girls have sleepovers, they say, oh, if Stephanie can't come, then we'll call you. It's like if I'm a substitute for girls. And it really hurts my feelings. Once Ryan made me cry. Aww. I love how I'm really nice and popular, but doesn't mean they can treat me like a doormat. But the good news is I might get a new bike <laughs> because my knees almost touch the handlebars. You are almost the only one I can tell this to besides mommy, daddy, and Ian. Ian sometimes is nice to me. So thank you for being there for me. Love, Amanda, with a picture of a cat drawn in there. I hope that this uh, made you laugh and inspires you for the upcoming event uh, about reading your diaries out loud. Very fun. Bye. Amanda, that was great. Oh, Paul. Amanda. I love that. Oh, my God. This is like exactly what we wanted to hear. Um, <laughs> Amanda, if you come to the show, please come up and say hi to me after. I would love to hear more about this situation. But I love I love the drama of being 10 and being like, no one likes me except for this extended list of people, my five fish, my parents. Oh, and then my other five friends. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is perfect. <laughs> yeah, I like imagining 10-year-old Amanda, Amanda just being like, oh, yeah, well, that person's actually okay, too. And they're all right. Yeah, they're pretty nice sometimes. And Yeah, it's good. That's good. I mean, that's being a kid. Oh, big feelings. It's all about big feelings. So if you have an, if you have an entry like that, 
please give us a call. The Teenage Dings hotline is 720-500-5418. We'll be collecting these stories. Some of them we will share on air, and then we will give away two tickets to that show. So stay tuned, keep listening, and share your angstiest journal entries with us. Paul, thanks for joining me. I feel caught up. Thanks. Always a pleasure, Bree. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell Robert Smith about us? But not the lead singer of The Cure, though if you wanted to weigh in on the Park Hill Golf Course, you know, we're open. Anyway, you can also rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. (laughs) I'll do that again. I'm not even a fan. <laughs> I'm like a f- I'm a fan of the Cure the way I'm a fan of Metallica, which is I respect their place in music history and how they've shaped fundamentally how music works and what it sounds like and how they've like made lanes for themselves and then created whole genres around them. But I'm just not a fan. <laughs> I'm a musicologist about respecting the Cure, but I have never sat down and listened to a Cure album in my life. But I'm sure I heard Friday I'm in love. Over the weekend at Nordstrom Rack because their music is tailored to ladies in their 40s. They know what they're doing. It's like Duran Duran, The Cure, then a little Julian Casablancas, you know. Okay.